On the show today, David and I take a look at the United States' trade and investment goals in Africa. The relationship between the United States and Africa is a dynamic one, influenced by a multitude of factors from neocolonialism, geopolitics, to economic opportunities. Just like in other parts of the world, in one way or another, the United States has maintained an educational, trade, and investment interest in Africa. From volunteers of the American Peace Corps teaching English in post-independent African countries, to the Growth and Opportunity Program that was launched in 2000. In July 2021, the United States government launched the Prosper Africa Build Together campaign. As part of the campaign, the Africa Business Summit was held in Washington, D.C. in December 2022. At the summit, several African leaders met representatives from the United States government to discuss trade and investment. David and I talk about this summit. We look at its goals and examine how the trade agreement wants to invest in Africa. We will also try to figure out how, if any, an average African can benefit from this trade agreement. All right, David, so let's get right into it. What do you really make of this trade agreement, first and foremost, in the most basic terms, good or bad? I think... Having read on it, it is a little bit too early for me to assess whether it's on the good side or on the bad side, especially because it was only less than a year ago. And while there has been some form of action in terms of implementation of some of the things they said, it's too minute to be able to make at least a clear statement on it. Okay, so you think you're saying it is too early to figure out whether or not it is positive. Yes, or it's going to have the intended. Yes, on effect. paper it looks it looks positive. On paper it looks positive, but most of the things that have been said are quite difficult to do, and out of the out of the hands of those who said it. Okay. Okay, so is it because of the areas it's targeting? So to give the readers more context, I'm going to read some of the the sections of the trade agreement. It says that the Export-Import Bank of the United States has authorized approximately 1.6 billion of transactions supporting exports to Africa. That's one. The U.S. Trade and Development Agency has funded eight feasibility studies since the summit to advance the implementation of over a billion dollars in digital connectivity, clean energy, and healthcare infrastructure projects on the continent. Another one is the U.S. International Development Finance Corporation has committed nearly $110 million in financing to projects across the continent. Another one is the Digital Transformation with Africa Initiative The Digital Transformation with Africa Initiative established the African Digital Policy Council to coordinate this signature 800 million initiative investment in the continent's digital future. future. Honestly, what do all of these mean? It's like they just throw words out of there and (laughs) out there. And what really is the impact? So basically, if you investigate further, it is these programs and initiatives that, you know, they have pools of funding 
for companies, governments, startups, NGOs that qualify to basically apply and get the funding to help them either hire more people, you know, achieve more goals, kind of like that, right? That's what they do. But I mean, even even when I read this, I question, you know, the whole initiative. I'm like, why these sectors? Why did they choose these sectors? What's the research behind it? How is it supposed to improve Africa, improve digital transformation, digital technology, small business, you know, the stuff they're talking about. Like based on what data set did they use to say that if you invest in these these fields, it's when, you know, you're going to get the most returns. That isn't covered. I didn't see that in any place. So is it a group of people that just sat down and said that, you know, let's just pull, and this sums up to what, less than $5 billion? $5.7 billion in total right, in, in, in a two-way trade and investment agreement. So $5.7 billion spread over these different sectors. How exactly is it really going to benefit people? Yeah, I, it's, it's difficult to answer, right? You know, yeah. when I met in December, there were five key areas that I wanted to look at. And their goal was that it will strengthen, you know, U.S. partnership with Africa to foster shared prosperity. And those areas where, you know, the two-way trade that you talked about, health, energy, digital transformation, and people-to-people ties, what you read, most of them fall under the two-way trade and investment, right? And even with that, I mean, feasibility studies and trying to mobilize funds, that's okay. But to me, the key points from the whole summit was one that I feel will be walking the talk. There are three things. One, there was a formal announcement of Biden's support for African Union to become a member of the G20, permanent member. The African Union? Yes. (laughs) Number two... President Biden said that, or committed to coming to visit Africa in 2023, which is walking the talk. And then three, commitment of $55 billion to advance U.S. and Africa's shared priorities over the next three years. So I'm supposing from 2023 to 2025, right? and. Most of these things require Congress approval, U.S. Congress approval. So when I read them, while well-meaning and sincere and attractive, in and of themselves, they they are just at the mercy of Congress. And which brings into account all of the U.S. politics in the first place, and that it's like a mess to navigate right now. So these could all basically be promises. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, promises that will not be feasible. I'm not saying that we hope that it doesn't become feasible, but the reality on the ground is that it's pretty difficult to squeeze out about $55 billion. Exactly, from the U.S. finance system right now for something like this. Yeah. It will be an uphill battle if Biden actually decides to go through with this. But I understand. You know that, so the promise is for $55 billion. Yes. 
if all of that $55 billion get, goes into these five sectors that they've promised to invest in, it's a good thing. I think $55 billion is significant, right? As compared to the $5.67 billion that they've already uh, put into available funds for the topics that I read out earlier. Yeah. Basically how, you know, average people get to see these improvements in their daily life. You know, that's what we talk about. This is the millennial African. We talk about how it's affecting the everyday African and the Africans in the diaspora. Is for instance, you get new startups coming up that get funding and then they hire people. So graduates out of school get jobs. If it's healthcare, probably new hospitals are built. Uh, some healthcare in rural facilities get some funding to expand. And those... Uh, the ways it trickles down to, you know, the people on the ground, the people that need the funding the most, right? So if it's that huge, I can bet that with given all of the challenges in accomplishing anything in Africa, corruption, one of the few inefficiencies and what some of them, some of that would get down and, you know, I've, you know, to the people. 5.7 billion, not so much. I doubt yes. <laughs> any significant progress will be made with that. It's kind of tough, right? Because, I mean, every country in Africa is looking out for itself and every representative who was at the summit is trying to squeeze some part of that commitment towards this country. So there's that. Even before you get under the umbrella and then there's the corruption, inefficiency, and whatnot. And so, so how it will translate into the betterment of the citizens, we are yet to see and assess it. But it's, I think that it's a step in the right direction. I read that the last summit that was ever held of this nature was in 2014 by Obama. So this is the second one in this century, as far as I I know. And initially, people were of the view that this is just a way to extend and maintain the global influence or of the U.S., right, given what is happening geopolitically. But uh, yeah, it is. And so the <laughs> African representatives who were at the summit were really on their toes to really figure out what exactly they called this summit for. And, and thankfully, they did not really make mention about Russia or Chinese, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, relations and how, you know, China is trying to gain some dominance over the U.S., uh, over Africa. You said they didn't they make did mention not, of it. They, they did not really it. make mention of it, okay. which is good. So it's like Apple releasing the Vision Pro and not mentioning AR or VR. Meanwhile, we all know that that's exactly what it's doing. Yeah. So I think it was it was a good thing from what I came through. Yeah, they do not mention it. The, that goes to say that to some degree, they, they knew that at this time, in this dispensation, with different things happening in the region and African region, our leaders are really, really know what's going on and they like to have a choice, not, you know, things just show down their neck. Yeah, so they are sensitive to yeah. the times. That's what you're saying. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you actually went right into like my third bullet point that I was going to bring up, which is, was this in response to something or was this a proactive initiative? I honestly think it was in response to the geopolitical situations going on right now. But before we get into that and tear that apart, 
this isn't the first trade agreement, you know, and this won't be the first time the US has done something major in Africa, right? The first ahead of the United States having a direct hand in, you know, things in Africa developmental. Let's not forget that the US, unlike most countries in Europe, never had, you know, held early colonies, any colonies in Africa. And a long time ago, I saw a New York Times screenshot of a New York Times article from like maybe 200 and 150 years ago that somebody was urging, you know, America to get in on the scramble for Africa when Europeans were dividing up because America was independent then and the person thought it would be a great time because there's all these resources in Africa and America should be going head to head with the countries in Europe to get some of that. But they never did for some reason, right? But so they arrived late to the whole colonization era. But after the Second World, Second World War, things kind of changed. They became a world power. Right. And so they decided to find ways to impose their will to get international global influence, right? As a powerhouse. And they've done that through either direct and indirect ways. Direct ways is whatever the CIA will do. Indirect ways could be through NGOs, you know, for developing countries. First one of those was the Peace Corps that I remember was like one of the first initiatives the US introduced, which was sending volunteers to developing countries to help in healthcare, education, agriculture, all of that. I met one of my professors from back in my master's degrees. His wife is like 78 then, maybe 80 now. And she was in like the first year of the Peace Corps in like 1962 or something, right? And she tells these stories about when you know, as an American with her group, they were also the Soviet, the, so the, the Russians at that time, the Soviet Union also had a volunteer program. <laughs> and so they were all competing for the same like ground, right? <laughs> so there were Americans and the and then the Soviets and speaking English and speaking Russian and teaching two different things. And so that was like the geopolitical tension in the world around that time during the Cold War. Now it's basically China and Russia is having a lot of influence in, in, in the region as well. So I think this trade agreement, it's a, it's a response and it's a very late response to the influence that Russia is having in Africa now, not just through the Wagner Group, which is providing paramilitary support to some governments, but also through Russia itself, only recently announcing the BRICS, Brazil, Russia, India, South Africa, and is it North Korea? I don't know. Them also deciding to move away from the USD as an international means of exchange and, you know, adopt a different currency, right? So it's gradually having more influence. And the US is realizing that it might be coming in too late. So it's trying to <laughs> have an incentive, you know, you know, incentivize African leaders to maintain the lean relationship that they continue to have with them. Right. Basically, that's what it is. So I'm glad that you out of the blue mentioned that they didn't mention the geopolitical tensions. And uh, I get it. They're playing, they're playing smart, but we all know it's like one of those things you don't speak about, but in the back of your mind, you know, this is what is happening. Right. Isn't that also part of the reason Kamala Harris did the whole African trip yeah, to, 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 Africa. Ghana, to Kenya and some other places? Yeah, because they know that Russia is getting a foothold. China already has a foothold in a lot of these countries, yes. right? And they are now reacting to it. But is it enough? Because promising $55 billion, if they really want to get into Africa, is $55 billion enough? Given that in the last year or so, 
they've given more than $75 billion in military assistance to Ukraine alone. Yeah, it's... <laughs> yeah, relative to that, that is... You know, that this is Africa, over 50 countries, right? So it's it just kind of depends on what are the needs of Africa, what amount or what initiative would be able to at least alleviate some of those needs, right? And the people just have to see that their needs have been met or there's there's something that is going on to point to the fact that there's there's going to be some form of improvement. With these, it's too early again to say, but with these updates from the just end of July, I think they had a conference somewhere in Africa as well, where they gave updates on what they had done since December. Well, at least they are they are doing something. They are doing something. Is it enough <laughs> to maintain the relationship or to continue to be a strong ally to African countries? We need more time. Also, it, they, they are not. If we are to really put it in perspective, they 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 are not like the only people in the race, right? And so, to be kind of tough. But I cannot affirm whether it to be enough. And right now, as I said, while you know a few hitches still prevail, respect to leadership in Africa, leaders very sensitive, and they are also well aware of what is going on across across the the globe in terms of politics. And so, and. To some extent, I don't know whether this is a very pleasant thing to say or something we should be proud of, but kind of have options in this case to pick who would want, since it seems like the battle to address the diminishing global influence is kind of centered around Africa at this at this point, right? And so. If you do not play your cards well, you, you you lose. Yeah. So, well, to dig into it better, it always has centered around Africa, I think. But in the sense of it being a place for resources, yes, rather than it being like a strong ally, right? But now, as human rights are getting more and more stronger in even the remote parts of the world, governments are forced to not only look at it as in terms of resource provision, but in terms of other... To be equal partners. Benefits. To be equal partners. Exactly. That's the word. Yeah. <laughs> I was reading that, you know, they said by 2050, Africa will contain one quarter of the world's population, you know, have, will be the youngest continent demographically. And so, you know, seeing that kind of force that Africa would, would become, I think that is making these powers realize that if they do not play fairly and equally in the future, things might go south for them. And they may lose they may lose out on a mutually beneficial. Yeah, you are you are definitely right. I asked you if it was enough. I think it's not enough. <laughs> But it's just enough for them to try and keep that one foot in the race. 
you know, the foot they've had in the race and try and stay relevant, but they need to do more. Gone are the days where, you know, I mean, maybe it's still happening, where you could, they could overthrow governments easily and control airways for radio messaging, however they want to, you know, quiet the situation. Now it's harder to control the news now because of social media. It's harder to control things happening on the other side of the world because everything is almost just like two flights away and people travel more than they did a long time ago. So narratives are harder to control now than they were. And like I said, human rights have come a long way. So as a country stronger than another, you can't just go in and bully just like what Russia is trying to do to Ukraine. Yeah. And the other reason being, maybe they know, the US knows, you know, they just have to keep themselves in the race. And probably the tactic they are using is to, you know, I said they've given Ukraine more than however billion dollars. It's, that is a direct war with Russia. That's one of the people they're trying to kick out. So fund a direct war, hopefully that wins and Russia is gone. And versus doing a proxy war in Africa where it's all a ton of money, but it's like whack and more, you whack them here, they pop up there, you whack them here. So maybe that's their strategy, is investing in a more direct means of getting rid of a competitor versus the proxy kind of thing, right? But that's one guess, but you know, that's also another guess. There could be so many other reasons. It could be a totally different reason why they're deciding to do that. But even with the reasons they are given on maintaining their partnerships with Africa, I think this isn't enough. They definitely have to do more. So David, let's assume it's been a few years down the line and the effects that they want with this trade agreement have been positive. What do you think are like the implications for average Africans living on the continent? I should think that, I mean, the immediate effect to be that there will be some form of improvement. I'm particularly excited about the digital transformation thing because I also know that President Biden is doing something of that sort in the U.S. at the moment. And so, of course, that would be very helpful in African countries where most of the people are not, do not have access to these technological tools in this modern world. And so that would be very helpful. I'm also excited about you know, these um, two-way trade and investment proposals. I feel like summarizing, it will be extremely helpful to African countries, all other things being equal. And that emphasis on all other things being equal, that is other things like good governance, good leadership, minimal corruption, efficient use of resources, because they can, they can just keep on pouring. I mean, if you think about it, maybe these things are mutually beneficial. But if you think about it, we also, African countries also take loans which they default on eventually. And these have not even translated to anything positive, right? And so it just still boils down to useful implementation and utilization of the resources that are transferred between these countries. Yeah, well said. I'm also very keen on seeing how it goes with the digital transformation. 
if it's in terms of communication, in terms of businesses, Wi-Fi in Accra sucks. <laughs> Any internet access in Accra sucks. So, <laughs> so if you can help us to improve Wi-Fi, maybe lay fiber optic cables to the West Coast, that would be that would be great. But jokes aside, yeah, digital transformation is good. If there are any founders out there who wants to start, you know, digital businesses and companies, startups, I don't know if it's open to general public startup now. Keep your eye out on some of this. They might be taking, you know, application proposals for funding. Yeah, it could also be like a healthcare startup, not just digital. Any startup at all, once it falls into some of the categories, look into it and you might come across some funding. For us in the diaspora, I don't know. Maybe the benefits in Ghana will extend, but it's nothing particular since whatever the, the, the level of improvement on the continent might be, I bet it probably will only match or will still be subpar to how those services and, you know, how those facilities and services in Europe and North America you know, yeah, so that's going to take time. Basically, it won't turn, it won't transform Africa into be a, a developed country <laughs> or a developed continent. It, it won't. So, um, yeah, that is that. Yeah, I think I've covered all of my points. Any other comments? Yeah, I also saw that there's under the digital transformation, there's an establishment of a US Africa Space Forum. And, you know, I, I don't think I have any comments that are useful on it right now, but I just wanted to throw it out there. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Let me know what you think and tell other people about this podcast. As always, you can reach me on Instagram at Aquabaden or just search for Millennial African Podcast. Stay curious, stay engaged and stay tuned. I'll talk to you again soon.